The scripture reading is from Judges 16, verses 23 to 31, the death of Samson. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to, to celebrate, saying, Our god has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their god, saying, Our god has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our sin. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other, Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple, on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Menorah, his father. He had led Israel 20 years. The word of the Lord. It's good to be with you guys this morning. My name is Will, and I am on staff at St. Clair. That's the catchy thing to say here. Um, <laughs> I'm actually the Missional Families Coordinator, but uh, yes, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've been looking at a series following this idea of covenant, and we've been tracing this theme of covenant throughout the Old Testament. And we've dedicated nine weeks of our fall schedule to look at this idea of covenant. Now within that, the idea behind that is to answer this question, how do we live the way of Jesus in Hamilton in 2019? And so as Jen mentioned earlier, Matt and Dave and most of our leadership team are off in Belfast for the 24-7 conference and they left me the non-controversial, very easy topic of the book of Judges. Nothing crazy or difficult about this topic whatsoever. Um, <laughs> for those of you that have read the book, you know what I mean. Um, but I thought it would be helpful, since we're highlighting the character of Samson, to kind of give a general overview of the book of Judges first, and then dive into Samson. And so... The book of Judges spans 350 years from the time that Joshua was the leader of Israel. So if you remember your Bible history, Joshua is leading the people, and he marches around the walls of Jericho, and the walls come down, and the people enter in and take possession of the promised land, the land that they were promised to take by God. So that's right after, sorry, that happens, and then the book of Judges begins. And then the book of Judges spans 350 years. And then right after the book of Judges is over, 
that's when Eli, Samuel, and then David ultimately enters the scene, and we see David takes over as the sole king of Israel, and they establish a monarchy for the first time in their history as a nation. So the book of Judges is that in-between period of trying to figure out and trying to flesh out how do we live as the people of God within the promised land. Now, during the, book, during the beginning of the book of Judges, Joshua, who is leading the people previously, he dies, and there's no new leader to take over after him. There's no succession plan. And so the people are left without a leader, and the people ultimately do not remember the words of God. You see, God commanded them when they were to enter into the promised land to drive the foreign nations out of the land. Now, I'm not going to get into all the complexities of the book, but the one thing I will say is driving the nations out was not a matter of exclusion. God is a God of love and a God of inclusion, and we have to understand the context at play here. What God was saying by driving the nations out was simply that these foreign nations would pose a threat because they served idolatrous gods. And what we see happen in the book of Judges is exactly what God feared for his people, that they turned their back on their Lord and they began to fall into these patterns that were really harmful and enslaved them ultimately. And so that was the reason that God had issued them to drive the nations out. It wasn't that he was excluding these people Israel was always meant to be a light to the nations, and it was always meant to welcome the foreigner and the stranger, but I just thought I would include that piece, maybe apologetically if you're wondering why the Israelites had to drive the nations out. And when we look at the book of Judges, there's a clear cycle that we see. It's a pattern that happens over and over and over again. We see that first, Israel serves the Lord when there's a time of great peace. Everything's good, life's good. And then we see that Israel falls into sin and idolatry. They're turning their backs on God and they're like, we want to go chase this new thing. The third thing we see is because of that choice, they begin to become enslaved by the people who are over them. The fourth thing we see is that Israel cries out because of that harsh treatment. They say, God, deliver us from this place. And out of God's goodness, God raises up a judge or a heroic leader to save them from that enslavement. And then finally, Israel is delivered. So there's kind of that six-step cycle that repeats over and over and over again. It's really fascinating to read the book and look at the book through that lens of that cycle because what it teaches us, and this is one of the main themes of the book of Judges, is that God relentlessly forgives and restores his people no matter what. No matter how many times they turn their back, no matter how many times they walk away from him, he's faithful to restore and he's faithful to heal. And this is a theme that we see throughout the book of Judges, and that's a major theme that we're going to come back to at the end. But let's turn to Samson. So obviously I don't have all the time in the world today to unpack his entire story, But once again, I'll kind of give snippets about his life, and then we'll jump into the teaching. So we see at the beginning of Judges, when Samson enters the scene, the Philistines have been oppressing the people of Israel for 40 years. And God, out of his goodness, he raises up Samson. Now, Samson's mother was a barren woman, and she could not have children. And so the angel of the Lord appears 
to Samson's mother and says, you will have a son and he will be a Nazarite. He will be set apart towards the Lord. And this happened just as the angel had said. Now, baby, if some of you don't know what a Nazarite is, a Nazarite was a person that set themselves apart. The Hebrew word nazir literally means consecrated, righteous one, set apart. So that comes from that Hebrew word. And that person was to follow three simple rules. If they were to commit their lives as a Nazarite, they had three stipulations that they were supposed to follow. One is that they were not supposed to drink any alcoholic drink or fermented wine or anything of that nature. Two was that they weren't to come into contact with anything that was ceremonially unclean or dead. And three was that they weren't supposed to cut their hair. Now, all of these lifestyle choices and appearances, they actually served as markers that when they would walk around the community, people would recognize them and go, oh, that person's different. That person looks different. They act different. They must be living for a specific purpose. It's actually quite a beautiful thing because it would allow them to be sort of a marker or like a big signpost saying, this is why I do this, because I serve this God. It's quite amazing. And those characteristics are important because as we'll see in the life of Samson, those different vows that he made early on in his life begin to unravel as the story unfolds. We see that the story continues and Samson meets a woman in Timnah in the valley country. And she was right in his eyes. She was looking good. And he was like, yes, that is what I want. Um, (laughs) But the key to that is that she was right in his eyes, not in God's eyes. Something we're going to come back to in a second. Now, there was a time where Samson went down to meet her and a lion just kind of like jumped out at him. And the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he literally, with all of his might, just ripped this lion apart with his bare hands. Like, dude was insane. Um, And he just rips this lion apart with his bare hands. And then he's just like, okay, on my way, on my business. And then a few days later comes back and sees this lion carcass sitting there and there's like honey inside the carcass. And he's like, oh, okay. And he just like goes in, reaches in, grabs a handful of honey and it just starts eating it. I know, right? Ew, (laughs) gross. That was perfect. Thank you. Um, Yes. (laughs) Ew, right? Like gross. But even more than gross, he broke his vow. That was one of his covenants was to not come into contact with things that were dead or unclean. So pay attention to that as we keep going. (laughs) That was so good. I love that. Um, (laughs) Judges 15, so the next part of the chapter, or sorry, the next part of the story goes on to talk about how he slaughters a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. Just like crazy, crazy stuff. If you haven't read it, go back and reread it because I was just blown away by all of the details when I was rereading this. And finally, we get to Judges 16, where once again, Samson meets another woman who was right in his eyes, and her name was Delilah. And I think most of you know this story from this point on, but Delilah was met by the rulers of the Philistines, and the rulers of the Philistines came to her and said, try and figure out why this guy is so strong. He keeps defeating us in battle. Like, just figure it out. And so she kind of goes in, and through this sequence of, like, kind of this cheeky little, like, riddle, like, oh, if you tie me up, then I 
I won't be strong anymore. And then it, he was just lying and he just breaks out. And she's like, oh, that didn't work. Um, and finally, after a few times of going through this rhetoric, she just says, if you love me, then tell me the truth. And Samson gives in and tells her that if you cut my hair, then I'll lose my strength. And so she does that. She cuts his hair when he's sleeping and he's overturned to the Philistines. His eyes are literally plucked out and he is put in prison and he's literally just grinding flour for the rest of his life in a mill with his eyes plucked out. And that was the other, other part of the covenant that he broke was getting his hair sh- taken off. And then we get to the portion of scripture that was read for us by Shannon, which is the end of Judges chapter 16. And we see that there's one day where all the lords and all the rulers of the Philistine camp are in the temple of Dagon, the God that they serve. And they thought, oh, it would be so great if we had some entertainment. Let's bring Samson out and he can kind of be this entertainment for us. And so Samson comes out and, you know, he's blindly being guided and he puts his hands on the pillars And there's this beautiful moment where he cries out to God and he says, God, remember me one more time. Strengthen me one more time. And in that final mighty act, he pulls down the pillars of this massive temple and kills 3,000 men and women as well as himself. This crazy act where he delivers Israel for a portion of time. Pretty radical story. And so within that there's two things that I really want to look at as we look at the story of Samson. The first thing is, what do we learn about human nature from the life of Samson? That's the first thing. And the second thing is, what do we learn about God from the life of Samson? Those are two questions that I'm going to be focusing around. And within that, there are four things that I want to highlight. The first thing I want to highlight is that Samson was a man of faith. And I know some of you are probably hearing me say that and maybe scratching your heads and wondering, you just talked about the ways in which he broke all of these vows. What does, how does that even work? Why is he a man of great faith? I think there's this beautiful tension that we see in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 to 40. This portion of scripture is classically called the hall of faith. It lists men and women who were faithful to God, not perfect, but faithful to God and were used by God. And Samson is one of the names mentioned in the hall of faith. I think it's easy to be critical of Samson because he fell short, and it's easy to see within the scripture. But we have to remember that he did have great faith. And I think the word for us this morning out of that is that our failures do not disqualify us from being used by God. Even when we fall short, even when we make mistakes, we can still be used by God. It's interesting that that portion of scripture is not called the hall of perfection, It's called the hall of faith. God used different people with checkered past to make his purposes known. I'm not downplaying the severity of sin. I want to make that very clear that sin does have a very real consequence and it makes us function fully less human than we were designed to function. But what I am highlighting is the fact that I think if you feel like you failed and you can't be used by God, I kind of want to dispel that myth. Like if you've fallen short or you've made a mistake, God can still use you for his purposes and he can still use you for the things that he has for your life. So I just thought that I would start with that before we kind of get critical of Samson. Um, Yes, Mary, yes. Um, (laughs) 
Uh, the second thing I want to highlight is that Samson did what was right in his own eyes. We see this in Judges chapter 14, verses 3 and verses 7. And what's interesting is this phrase, to me, gets at the heart of every single sin. Every single sin that we commit is when we say, God, I know better than you. I have better things in store for my life than you could have for me. I think I know better than you. It's interesting when we look at the world around us, we see that this is the dominant worldview of our cultural moment. We live in the Burger King generation. You can have it your way. And don't let anyone else tell you how to live your life or how to make your own burger. Um, <laughs> but I think when we live a life in covenant with God and when we understand this idea of covenant, we understand that when we say yes to God, it means we're saying no to a lot of other things. That yes automatically says no to a lot of other things. What do I mean by that? Um, an example could be when I was training, many of you know that I was uh, a high-level athlete in my former years. Um, when I was training very seriously, I had to make certain choices because I was committed to being successful as an athlete. That meant that I wasn't allowed to eat bad food all the time. I had to get my rest. I had to take care of my body. I had to study and get work done on time because other time that I had was committed to training. You see, my yes to that one thing meant that my no to a lot of other things was already determined. And I think when we commit ourselves to God, when we say yes to God, it means that we're saying no to a lot of other things. And trust me, friends, I've tried to mix the two. I've tried to have it all and say, I think I can balance it. I'm a pretty successful and like driven person. If I just try really hard, I can bring both of those things together. But it doesn't work. Unfortunately, it doesn't work. I lost myself here. Where are we? Oh, yeah. And I think the other thing within that is understanding surrender. I think that's a big portion when we talk about covenant. And I know the topic of surrender can be difficult for some of us. In fact, difficult for all of us and difficult for myself. But I think when we understand that covenant is a relationship with the living God and we know that God loves us deeply and can be trusted, it motivates us to surrender. Because it's not like we're being forced to do something. We know who we're serving and it's easy to give those things up because we're in a relationship with a God who genuinely cares for us. We can't surrender to God if we don't know who he is. I think that's a vital portion to our faith, is knowing who God is. If we know who God is, we know that he's a loving God. We know that he's relentless. We know that he's faithful, and we know that he's coming after us. It becomes very easy to surrender our lives to him. But if we don't believe those things and we don't know those things, it's really, really hard to give up control. I think the second thing, well, the third thing, I should say, that we can learn from the life of Samson is that Samson had consecration, but he lacked communion. Samson had consecration, but he lacked communion. Now, what does that mean? When we look at the life of Samson, we see that he was set apart. He was this righteous man chosen by God, and he had all of these rules to follow, these regulations to follow that made him holy. 
but ultimately we see the unraveling because I believe he didn't fully understand what that meant. Holiness is important in the Christian life, and I want you to hear my heart. I'm not saying that holiness is not important. I could use more holiness in my life. And being set apart is what we're called to do. But if we're just set apart for the sake of being set apart, it will ultimately fall short. We have to understand that we're set apart because we're in communion with the living God. That's the peace that has to be the glue that holds all of this together. Because if not, they're just rules. They're just religion. It's just laws, right? Unless we understand that God loves us and that motivates us to do the things that we do, it's going to fall flat. Life's going to get difficult. Disappointment's going to set in. And if you're just trying to do the right thing for the sake of being a good person or doing the right thing, it's not going to sustain us. We have to come to this place where we know that God loves us and we actually get to live and walk in step with the living God and he lives and dwells inside of us. It's a beautiful thing when we see that the law becomes life. And so one of the questions that I want to ask is are we following a set of rules in order to do the right thing? Are we willingly entering into a life with the living God? Are we following a set of rules in order to do the right thing or are we willingly entering into a life with the living God? This is a question that we can wrestle with in the days to come. It's one that I've been wrestling with um, over the last few weeks. And lastly, the last point that I want to mention that I'm going to close with is under the framework of this idea, what do we learn about God from the life of Samson? And as I mentioned earlier, this is the theme of Judges This is the theme of the entire Bible. The entire portion of Scripture boils down to this one point, that God is faithful even when we fail. Even when we make mistakes, even when we fall short, God is faithful. You see, God could have easily abandoned Samson. He could have said, this is the punishment you deserve. Look at what you got for turning your back on me. And yet God remembered him in the end. When Samson cries out and repents and says, Lord, remember me. Remember me one more time. Strengthen me one more time. The Lord is faithful to do that. And I want to say that for us this morning, that even when we fail, God is faithful. It's interesting. When I was thinking about this, when I try and be faithful, it's something that I have to do. But when God's faithful, it's just literally an overflow of who he is. Faithfulness is just a part of the nature of God. It's not something that he has to do. It's something that is part of his internal makeup. And I think that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I'm going to transition into communion. And um, as I was reflecting on Samson, there was a lot of parallels that I noticed between Samson and Jesus. It was really interesting as I compared the two of them and kind of did a case study between both of their lives. We see that both of them, they were born miraculously. Both of them, the angel of the Lord announced their births to a barren woman, their mother. Both of them came to deliver the people of Israel. The Holy Spirit resided in both of them. Both spoke in parables and in riddles. Both were betrayed by a loved one. 
both deaths defeated the enemies. It's quite fascinating when you look at the two of them. They have so many similarities. And in Judges chapter 13, verses 5, we see that Samson began to deliver the people of Israel, but he ultimately wasn't the fulfillment of deliverance. You see, Jesus Christ, a man who came thousands of years later, was perfect in all the ways that Samson fell short. And he was able to bring about the ultimate restoration of our covenant with our Father. So St. Clair, it's my pleasure to speak this benediction over you. A benediction is just a blessing. And this one comes from Deuteronomy 7, verses 8 and 9. It's the Lord speaking to his chosen people. He says this, But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenants and steadfast love to those who loves him and keeps his commandments to a thousand generations.